and welcome back to Conversations at the Well. Thanks for joining us today. Today in our conversation, we're just going to be talking about relationships and kind of this cultural phenomena that's come about that is just all about the idolatry of relationships. I'm going to let mom introduce the topic today just because it was heavy on her heart and something that she wanted to talk about. So I'll let her tell y'all about where the inspiration for this topic came from. And then we're going to jump straight into a conversation as always. Yeah, we have been studying the book of Isaiah in the mentoring group that I am leading. Caroline's a part of that. And I know that we've mentioned on other episodes that we've recorded just how much the book of Isaiah, I believe, is speaking to our current culture, even though it was written for the Israelites back in the 700s BC. It's so relevant for what God was saying to his people, both in the uh, rebuke and admonition that he gives them and also in just the hope and his love and his character and his redemption. And so I've read the book of Isaiah. This is my third time through reading it in the last three years. The Lord just keeps calling me back to it. And it speaks a lot of Israel's idolatry, but that is completely a topic that is still so current. I think idolatry always has been um, from the very beginning. You know, when the Lord speaks to us, he speaks to us, yes, about our culture in general, but our culture is simply a culmination of every individual's beliefs and heart. And so as God has been revealing just the layers of idolatry in my own life, I was just really smacked in the face with (laughs) another area of idolatry that I really didn't realize I had. And then I thought, wow, yeah, this is an area that is not only prevalent to me, but then I just kind of was thinking about it in the greater culture. So I want to read just a portion of scripture where God opened up my eyes to this in the book of Isaiah, chapter two, verses 22. It says, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils, why hold them in esteem? And just with what was going on in my own life, in my own heart, it's just one of those moments where the Holy Spirit said, let me just reveal to you the idolatry of relationships, Kim, that you have placed in your, in your own heart and how I have allowed my relationship with other people to have control of my emotions that it has dictated how I feel, how I think, what I choose to do, what I choose to not to. In some relationships, it has made me lose control of my emotions completely at times and and not act in the way in which I know as a follower of Christ, I am to act. And anytime we allow anything else other than God and the Holy Spirit, which is God working through us, to we, when we give the reins of authority and control over to those things, then we in fact have created an idol out of whatever that is. And so I just began to have to, number one, recognize that, realize that it is truth, repent of that, and ask the Lord to make me aware of it when it begins to creep back in, and go to the one whom I am called to worship, which is God alone. That something in that relationship, there's nothing wrong with the person, in other words. Let me say that too. It's not about the person who I'm in relationship with. Sometimes it might be, but in this case, it it wasn't about the person. 
And it wasn't that the relationship was a bad relationship. It's what I had attached to that relationship that was the problem. The meaning that I had given it uh, that was the problem. And that's what I had to repent of was the fact that I had allowed that relationship to have meaning that it was never intended to have. And in fact, in doing that, it was really bringing destruction to the heart of, of what God created the relationship with that other person to be. And so I just began to think about how that has manifested itself. If it's a parent in my life, it lives in other people's lives too. And how has that gone about really just kind of impacting the culture? Where have you seen this, Caroline? I mean, whenever we started, you know, talking about this kind of last week in in our mentoring group, it was a real, uh, like you said, slap in the face, not, not by what you were saying, but the conviction that I felt, because I think I do this in all of my relationships. I'm a person who's very driven by emotion. And so I think whenever I try to evaluate my rationale behind things or try to really make some big actions, I think I have to dig through a lot of piles of emotions before I can get there. And I think sometimes that stops me from really being rational or really being moved by conviction. And so it was, it was so striking to me just to be put in those words, because that is exactly how I have felt. Something that you had mentioned to us was kind of a, a three-step system, if you will, whenever you realize that you've been idolizing relationships. You had us first confess what people or relationship are controlling your emotions, are ruling your emotions. And I had written down all of them. And why was that? What's the cause of this idolatry? And for me, I think it's the fear of unimportance. I wrote down just last week that I said, I'm constantly devoted to standing out and being meaningful to others. But the way that I was created was meant to make God meaningful and stand out in people's minds, not me. That's good. And I think also the fear of abandonment as well. I am convinced that the the fickleness of of humanity is is always going to turn out with me left out. I have changed some of my prior relationships and friendships to current ones. And in the times whenever I've felt uh, gypped or left out that, that I now just expect that in everything. And I think when we start putting our expectations, our emotions, anything that we hold in that high esteem, on something that is not of God, then we have created an idol. And that's been difficult for me to realize and sad whenever you see how many idols you really have. If you're, if you're trying to live a life that reflects Christ and you see how many idols you truly have, I think it's, it can be a little bit disappointing. But the encouragement that comes is when you look at the Bible and you look at uh, people like David who was called a man after God's own heart and the fact that he had to constantly ask God to renew his heart. And I was reading in Psalm 51, 10 through 12, and David is crying out to the Lord and he says, created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And I think that hearing that and that verse has been 
so, so important to me this whole year of 2021 so far. I think that hearing that gave me encouragement that A, I'm not alone. And that B, just because I do have these idols in my mind, it doesn't mean that I can't still be somebody who is after the Lord's heart, who is like David. I think those, that that three-step process and at the end, coming to a reconciliation with your Savior and and realizing that your brokenness is only the sign that you are in need of a Savior is such a beautiful thing. And so I think in the midst of a lot of conviction over the past couple of weeks, that this topic really is is something that we've been talking about called an Isaiah moment, where you're able to see your own brokenness and and not succumb to what Satan wants, which is for it to just push you away from God, but let your brokenness draw you closer to God. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I was recommended to read a book. Actually, it was during one of our recordings with one of our guests, a book that really had touched her life and was just resonating. It's by um, Henry Nowen. It's called Life of the Beloved. And for some reason, the Lord was like, get that book, get that book. So I'll get that book. I love to read anyway. And I just started in reading it. And the way that it speaks to what is at the root of our problems when we make anything an idol is that we're trying to fill in our hearts. We're trying to get whatever it is that's empty. We're trying to create something other than God to fill it. You know, it's that God-shaped hole that we all have in our heart. And our idols are the things that we try to use to fill that hole, but they, they're not God. Therefore, they never truly will. And our idols will always fail us and always disappoint us. This book is not about idolatry, but the subtitle of it is Life of the Beloved. It's really, really, really incredible how he weaves this story. I like the fact that he wrote it as a letter because it was born out of his love for a friend of his who was not a believer, but that person who was resistant to the idea of God, who still understood Nowen's walk with the Lord. He's a priest. And understanding that there was something there that could be offered to him and to other people. It's that quest, that search. This friend of his was very much an intellectual and had a Jewish background, even though he wasn't a practicing Jew, but there was a lot of things in there keeping him from being able to just open his heart and accept Jesus. But still he understood that the key to happiness, but there was something in that. He could see it in the way that Nowen lived his life and in the way that Nowen loved him as a friend. And so there's a lot of things about friendship and relationships in here, some nuggets that I as I was reading it this week and last week, just kind of thought, oh, that kind of speaks to getting at the heart of why it is that we do take relationships. Most relationships that we have are good. There's nothing wrong with the relationship. It's what it's the meaning that we've attached to it that is wrong. I'm not saying that there aren't maybe some relationships in, in your life that are just not good relationships. And that that's something that you need to evaluate. Relationships that are not healthy relationships that are abusive, those kind of things. I think we we're constantly we have to, to weigh that. And, and in this podcast, we're not talking about those kind of relationships. I'm talking about a relationship that is a good, healthy relationship, but the bad meaning that we attach to it. 
the importance and significance that we attach to it that God did not mean to have. And at its essence, the reasons why that's important, number one, if it's an idol in your life, you've created it to be, you're searching in something of that relationship that you'll never get. It'll never fulfill what you think it will fulfill in your life. And it, in fact, being an idol is distancing you from God in a way. It's disrupting the fullness of the relationship that God wants to have with you. But because it's not going to give you what you want, it's probably in some way going to lead to never being the kind of relationship that God meant for it to be in any relationship. And God is the God of relationships. We speak all the time in this podcast about the importance of community because it is important. You don't have to get far into Genesis at all before God says, he looked at the one man that he created and said, it's not good for man to be alone. Let me create for him a helpmate that yes, would become his spouse that would help to reproduce and, and show a pattern and a, of marriage that God intends in the Bible. But at its heart, it was a friendship. Adam and Eve were friends, friends with each other and friends with God. And in the purest state, when their own selfish idolatry, their idol of self had not yet entered the garden, it was beautiful. They walked with God and they walked with each other in perfect harmony, the way it was supposed to be. And then the idol of self was introduced by Satan, the serpent, and it brought tension, conflict to Adam and Eve's relationship, and it separated their relationship from God. Didn't destroy it, but it separated it. And so our relationships are meant to be beautiful and meaningful. And at the heart of every relationship, should be the beauty of friendship, whether that's your child, whether that's your spouse, whether it's your parent, there's an essence of friendship that is there. And so I, I just wrote down a, a few uh, instances where this book speaks to that because he's very eloquent. So now in writes, the greatest gift my friendship can give you, remember he's writing this in the form of a letter to his friend is the gift of your belovedness. I can give that gift only insofar as I can claim it for myself. Over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. And so then he goes on, and this is what you were talking about, Caroline. Yeah, so much. Why is it that you try so hard and place so much meaning and allow to attach so much emotion to your friendships, it's because you are trying to fill the void, the need for feeling acceptance, right? And that's because at the root of it all, you don't believe that you are even acceptable ultimately. Hmm. You don't accept yourself. So why in the world would you believe that anyone else would accept you? When we are in our moments of total honesty with ourselves, I think we all would recognize in some way we don't believe we are worth it. We don't accept ourselves. And how would we believe that if we, if I can't accept myself, why in the world would anyone else want to accept me? Just a little bit more about that. He says, we have to dare to reclaim the truth that we are God's chosen ones, even when our world does not choose us. As long as we allow our parents 
siblings, teachers, friends, and lovers to determine whether we are chosen or not. We are caught in the net of a suffocating world that accepts or rejects us according to our own agenda of effectiveness and control. Long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God, I'm going to get emotional, (laughs) who is all ears for us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. Our preciousness, uniqueness, and individuality are not given to us by those who meet us in clock time, our brief chronological existence, but by the one who has chosen us with an everlasting love, a love that existed from all eternity and will last through all eternity. Wow. I read that and I'm emotional. Yes, because it's beautifully written, (laughs) but even more so because that is the love that fills that God-shaped hole in my heart. And the and I'm overcome because my heart is overwhelmed when it's like that puzzle piece fits and it fit and it was placed in the moment of my exception acceptance sorry of Jesus as my savior. That is when God placed Himself in my heart and filled that hole. But what happens is, and this is not theological. I'm just speaking in a metaphor, <laughs> an analogy. But I think that. What we do over time is we begin to kind of jiggle that piece around a little bit in our hearts, that God, because when Satan comes in and he he wants to kind of lift that up and shake that around, it's never taken out. It's never taken out because we are sealed in Christ and our salvation is sealed when we accept Jesus as our savior. But I think it jiggles it around so it doesn't fit completely and it allows the seeping in of things that God did not intend in our hearts, the lies and the untruth. And so when we hear again the truth of his love for us, it's like it just pushes it back in and we feel whole again, don't we? And what Nowen has beautifully paraphrased there is what's in Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know full well my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. We are his beloved, his chosen. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of us or even what we think of ourselves, we are loved eternally. Do we believe it? The three steps for how do we take hold of the truth of our belovedness, of our being chosen by God. It says, first of all, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power hungry, and in the long run, destructive. Okay? You have to see the idol for what the idol is not something that is from God. Second, you have to keep looking for people and places where your truth is spoken and where you are reminded of your deepest identity as the chosen one. Community, you've got to keep the people around you who are grounded in the word 
who, when you are being sucked away by the lie, can say, ah, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. What I hear you saying and what you are believing, that is not truth. And let me remind you who you are. Not because I say it, but because God says it. And then third, you have to celebrate your chosenness constantly. This means saying thank you to God for having chosen you and thank you to all who remind you of your chosenness. We need to be people of gratitude if we're going to call ourselves Christians. We do more complaining than we do proclaiming. And we are to proclaim his goodness. And we are to proclaim his love. And I can't remember exactly what you said, but you said it there at the end. That I was created was to make God meaningful to other people and stand out in people's minds, not myself. I was meant to be a reflection of Christ, not a reflection of self. If people look at me and all that they see, the only thing that they get is, wow, she loves Jesus. Or, wow, she reminds me of God. She reminds me of Jesus. Even if I don't stick out in their minds, God did, and that's what I was created for. And that's proclaiming his greatness. And that doesn't mean that we have to go around with meaningless meaningless platitudes, you know, but a life lived genuinely in gratitude that recognizes a suffering world for the suffering that it is and doesn't try to push it away as if it's not happening, but that embraces those who are suffering and says, I'm going to come alongside you and love you in that suffering. When Mary and Martha had their dear brother Lazarus die and Jesus came and the whole community was weeping and mourning. Jesus knew that he was about to resurrect Lazarus, but he didn't come in and say, oh, don't worry about it. There's a better day coming tomorrow. He wept. He met them in their grief and their suffering because Jesus was fully human, that humanity. He was Lazarus's friend as well. He wept and he mourned and he grieved. And then through the power that he had as God, both man and God, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And we as Christians have that ability too. We might not be able to perform the miracles that Jesus was able to perform, but when you come alongside someone and you meet them where they're at, and you're a Christian who looks like Christ. There's the importance. That, that's, the first, that's the first importance. Are you a Christian who looks like Christ? Because if you're not in your relationships, you will not be a reflection of him if you look like the world. So you step into those friendships in those times of mourning and you meet them where they are. But then as the feelings start to uh, come back, you have the opportunity like Jesus did to resurrect, to reconcile, Mm -hmm. to redeem, to breathe life and hope back into. Jesus literally breathed life into that death situation. We're not called to try to bring physical life back into things, but we are. We are called as Jesus's followers to breathe spiritual life back into things and to claim the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to us through Christ to speak words of truth and life. But you can't do that in a relationship unless that relationship is framed in God and that relationship is rightly ordered in God because 
if there's problems in it, you're going to cling to it first for what it gives you. I just know that. We, and then you can't be that which God intends for you to be because you're. it's that struggle between yourself and fulfillment of yourself and your flesh and fulfillment of what God wants you to do. So we, if we want to be the best kind of friend, the best kind of spouse, the best kind of parent, we have to be guarded about making that relationship an idol where it is somehow fulfilling something in us first so that we are able to be used by God to do what he wants to do be done in that relationship. You know, I can't be the mother that I am supposed to be to Caroline or Claire, her sister, or her brothers, if my relationship with my children has some kind of a personal fulfillment of me, if I'm trying to get something for myself out of that relationship, I get in the way of God doing what he wants to do in that relationship. And that is the same thing that happens in marriage or any other friendship um, and relationship that we have. And the world needs to see relationships that are modeled after Jesus, not that are modeled after our own personal gain. And I don't know about you, but social media, movies everywhere, relationships come and go. And the only value that that is given to them is what can I get out of it? How did it make me feel? Yeah. I want to be your friend on Facebook so that I can gain attention. That's not what God intended our relationships to look like. Do you see your relationships as a calling forth of one another's chosenness? Of your chosenness. There are some relationships that God has given me that, and I'm grateful for them, that they aren't competitive, that it's truly a friendship and a relationship born out of love. Because when that person sees me, they see God. Not because I'm acting like God. Don't get me wrong. That's not an elevation of me. But when they see me, they see what God intended me to be. And they call that out in me because they remind me, they encourage me, and and I trust them because I know that they have God's intentions, not even their best intentions, but they have God's intentions for me. And that is love because God's intention for all of us is love, love for him and love for each other. That's what he's about. So my question is, what are your relationships like? Who's controlling your emotions? And why are you in the relationships that you're in? Thanks so much for watching or listening to this episode. Right now, our ministry is doing work in both the United States and in Cuba. If you'd like to find out more about our Mercy Ministry or hear stories from our Words from the Well blog, you can visit the link in our show notes. You can also find us on Instagram at Well Women's Ministry for updates on everything we have going on. We hope you have a blessed week and join us next week for our next conversation at the Well. Jesus, I am yours.